You are listening to The Lex Validus Show. Hello and welcome to LVS episode 6. This particular episode is going to be a almost word-for-word reading of a post that I put out last week on the blog. And the post itself deals with the tragic suicide of Keith Flint. For those of you who don't know who Keith Flint was, he was the frontman vocalist slash dancer for the uh, for the group known as the Prodigy. Uh, this one this one sucked. I was bummed about this one for for days to the point where I couldn't sleep at night, which is extremely strange. I I normally don't care about celebrity lives, celebrity deaths, suicides, whatever. But this one, this one really hit me. And I wasn't, I wasn't really sure why that was. It took me a while to figure out what exactly was going on in my head. So I basically just sat down at the keyboard and started typing with no real plan, really. Just a stream of consciousness, get it out of my system exercise. I normally don't like to write anything without some sort of structure, some sort of idea of what's going on. Uh, what's going into the effort. So I usually have notes. I might have voice memos, things like that to help me along. This one, I just sat and I just let my feelings pour out of me. So as I normally do, I shared the post on social media and it, it managed to get some pretty emotional responses from people. So that is basically what made me go, hmm, might make a good episode. It's going to be a little strange reading this. I've never done anything like this, so I'm, I hope it works. I guess there's only one way to find out, so here goes. In Memoriam, Keith Flint Celebrity deaths tend to have little effect on me. But when news of Keith Flint's suicide first popped up on my Twitter feed, it hit me. Hit me hard. It's been a few days now, and I've struggled with trying to understand why that is. There's no dearth of entertainers in the world today. What it lacks, though, is true artists. It is a rare individual that can be both. Keith Flint was one such individual. And the reason why his death comes as such a shock lies in both the manner of his passing and what he meant to me personally. If you are lucky, you will come across an artist that changes your perception of what music is, of what art is. If you are luckier still, you will run into something like that when you are still young, still forming an idea of what is possible in a world that insists that it knows what is right for you. Getting exposed to art, any art that can change your perceptions of possibility, can very well change the course of your life. That is exactly what artists like The Prodigy, Rage Against the Machine, Marilyn Manson, and hell, even Apache Indian did for many of my generation. I was 15 when I first got my hands on a bootleg copy of Music for the Jilted Generation. I had no idea of who or what the prodigy was, but they sounded cool. 15 is a confusing age, an impressionable age, a good age. At the time, CDs were not yet accessible to the masses in the still-closed Indian economy. Liberalization had yet to take root, and music, real music, outside of any of the international chart-toppers, was hard to come by. There was a thriving grey market and bootlegs were the best way to get my hands on what I really wanted. Occasionally, if I played my cards right, I could tape something off 102.6 FM, then known as Times FM, on my dad's trusty old Panasonic Hi-Fi, 
It was 1996, and this was small town India, a land without smartphones, no YouTube, heck, no internet. But categories were real, very real. Caste meant something. Authority was to be deferred to, and some questions you just didn't ask. You stayed in your lane, and artistic or not, you learned to color within the lines. Turns out there were lines everywhere. This is rap. That is rock. This is pop. That is metal. This is punk. That is bhangra. This is not music. That is obvious. This is law. Onto this scene came a group of musicians that looked at that message and responded thusly. Fuck em, they said. Fuck em and their law. And the one spitting out those words on stage? Keith Flint. Genre wasn't something that the prodigy respected. Even today, it is impossible to pin them down in the narrow confines of category. Breakbeat, industrial rave, techno, old school jungle, none of these do them any justice. Electropunk comes closest, I suppose. But even that serves as a description of their attitude rather than their art. By the time Fat of the Land came out in 1997, their law had already become my personal anthem. If their earlier work was a way of messing with the idea of genres and pushing back against established musical norms, this was them screaming a globe-spanning fuck you. There was no genre now. Nothing could define this. Nothing explained it. There were no lines anymore. The entire album was a carefully choreographed crash of industrial, punk, techno, rap, rave, and metal sounds. One of the tracks, Narayan, actually had a Hindu chant, Om Namah Narayana, set to a beat so trippy it probably got my dog high. But if the album was cool, what was cooler was seeing the kind of people it attracted as a whole. Were you a metalhead? Well, this spoke to you. A raver? This was familiar. Hated most Western sounds? Well, try hating this. Fuck your categories and your lines. It was impossible not to respect it. The album would become a high-water mark in music history. Liam was the technical wizard, Maxim the forceful MC, and Keith the mind-bending reality distortion field around whom the group galvanized its image. It was all color. No lines, just color. And then there were the videos. They got banned, of course. Both Smack My Bitch Up and Firestarter got on the wrong side of the law in the UK. Smack My Bitch Up was debated in British Parliament. And after the video for Firestarter was released, the Mail, that's the newspaper, on Sunday ran with the headline, quote, ban this sick fire record, end quote. The prodigy's response to this? Liam Howlett had this to say, quote, we decided it was important to push all censorship laws, which is why we made the video really full on. I was always into discovering where the boundaries really are. That's where the excitement happens. There are a million bands who are happy just to make nice tunes, but we're not one of them. We wanted to push people's emotions and thoughts. End quote. And what a push it was too. The bands only went to prove that people often fear what they don't understand and cannot explain. And Fat of the Land defied every attempt at explanation. Somehow, and I don't understand how this happened, the video for Firestarter escaped the banhammer in India. I remember seeing it for the first time being equal parts unsettled and excited. It was impossible not to move to it. It was also the first time I could put a face to the guy whose voice had been rattling in my head ever since I first heard their law. No internet, remember? But the kicker was the newly designed cassette cases that had just been introduced. Smooth, sleek, and sporting a thin profile, 
It was perfect for slipping into a jeans pocket without it poking you in the crotch every few minutes. Perfect, in other words, for carrying around everywhere. Fat of the land spread like a virus in my school and soon throughout my town. Smack My Bitch Up played everywhere. It was impossible not to hear it. Bootleg music stores, these were small garage operations really, milked the track's popularity for a long, long time. These illegal quote-unquote shops became lodestones for kids of my generation. We'd spend hours on our bicycles, huddled around them, just listening to this alien sound blaring over the high-end sound systems. The new tapes also meant that I could finally get my hands on the original studio release of music for the jilted generation. Some of us that were really fortunate even managed to record the video of the two hours of MTV that aired every weekday on DD Metro. Imagine being 16, in a land where being conservative was a virtue, where the best accolade you could hope for was hearing, he's such a good boy, where asking questions was alright, but only to a point. If you didn't colour inside the lines, it reflected poorly not just on you, but your entire social circle, family included. Imagine what seeing someone like Keith moving, as with everything the man did, it is hard to describe his moves as dance, does to you. How lines like, I'm the trouble starter, punking instigator, I'm the fear addicted, a danger illustrated, burrow inside your brain. Oh sure, I kept my grades up. I smiled, colored in the lines. I stayed, quote unquote, good. But in my private moments, when I was hitting the heavy bag, lifting some iron in the gym, writing an essay for the school paper, or taking my bike for a spin around the neighborhood. I do away with the lines. The smile disappeared. I scowled. I fumed. Not in a destructive way. Well, not usually. Testosterone is a thing after all. But kind of like an engine revving up. I questioned more. A lot more. The voice in my head began to change ever so slightly. Why became an integral part of my vocabulary. It was in my head all the time. Because we said so, it has always been this way, because those are the rules, that's the law, these cease being acceptable answers anymore. Now, my inner voice rebelled. As the years went by, the prodigy's sound matured and evolved. But Keith, well, he remained Keith. They still defied typifying, but the group never lost its trademark sound. I had missed a couple of their tours when I was in the UK by not making it to the ticket counters on time, and resigned myself to the idea of maybe never getting to see them live. Instead, I contented myself with carrying Keith's voice on my iPod, across two decades and seven albums. At least now there were no cassette cases digging into my crotch. And then, in 2011, a miracle of sorts transpired. The Prodigy announced its first ever tour to India. By now I'd had the good fortune of seeing a variety of bands live in and outside of the country. But as anyone that has been to a Prodigy concert will tell you, seeing them live is a hell of a thing. Suffice to say, the second Keith ran up on stage, 30-year-old me gave way to that fuming 16-year-old for a couple of hours. I was high off that gig for weeks. I was lucky to come across an artist that changed my perception of what art meant at the right time. If their earlier work changed the course of music, fat of the land straight up changed lives. And to me and many millions of my generation, Keith was the face of that change. His voice is a part of us now, buried somewhere deep, in a place where there are no lines, only color. That voice has colored our loves, our hates, our politics, and everything in between. It has colored our very lives.
Fuck them, the voice says. Fuck them and their law. So that was the post. As I said, I'm not sure if this little experiment of mine works, but hopefully, hopefully if you were a fan of the man as much as I was, you find something in there that resonates with you. What else is there to talk about? I'm, I'm trying very hard not to speak about anything political. It's election season, and frankly, the news is a little insane. Uh, so I'm going to try and talk about something else. I managed to see uh, Captain Marvel last week. I've done a in-depth review on the blog, and in the review, I made it a point to not talk about the whole feminism debate that has been revolving around this film for the last few months. I chose to see it purely as a product of entertainment. That is the 21st, I think. Yeah, it's the 21st. It is the 21st film in the MCU, which is the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. 21 movies. That's, that's one hell of a franchise. And they've all succeeded. None of them have failed. Even this one. Movie studios would kill to have that kind of uh, an, an IP. This, this particular one, it kind of fell flat for me. It didn't, it didn't quite land. It's not a bad film, but it's not, it's not special. I think what I say about it is it's, uh, it's not so much that it's a quote-unquote bad movie. It's just an entirely unmemorable one. There's nothing here stands out. And even when it sticks to the formula, it's a formula that we've been seeing for a while, you, there's a lot of room to play within that formula. And this one just doesn't do that. It's hard not to see the whole thing as a series of missed opportunities. Now and then there are moments in there that give you the impression that you're in for something special, but it doesn't really capitalize on those moments. There are a few scenes where me and the audience actually cheered, so that's a good sign. But almost immediately I found myself going, wait, 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 wait a second, why did I cheer? That doesn't make sense. So you can see right off the bat that even when it succeeds, it it kind of just barely manages to do so. I didn't like the way they treated Samuel L. Jackson's character. Nick Fury is an integral part of this franchise. I can see what they were trying to do. They were trying to give some background as to how he was before he became this hard-boiled character, but it didn't. The way they, his character plot progresses, it just doesn't work for me. Even the lead character, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Carol Danvers, she, she has no personality to speak of. Whatever personality she had to show, it shows within the first five to ten minutes of the film, and that's it. And that's really sad because the actress is, is an excellent actress. It is not her fault. I blame this one on the writers and the directors. They just didn't do what they were supposed to. That's what it seems like to me. Even the fights are uninspiring. Uh, come on, this is a comic book movie. You, if there's one thing you should be able to excel is the fight sequences, and they just don't do anything with it. I, uh, they're okay, fine. There are two fights in the first half of the film, which are good. They're actually well done. They play to the strengths of the genre, and uh, they do some interesting things. So I, that was pretty cool. But apart from that, there was nothing. I can't think of a single fight sequence that made me go, damn, that was cool. It, no, it didn't happen. So yeah, like I said, missed opportunities. Now, the feminism stuff. I kept it out of the review. But I think there is some value to be had about discussing the film through the lens of feminism. But it would seem very strange for me, a guy, to be talking about what the movie meant to a, um, a female viewer. Because I saw the film with a group, 
And one of one of the people in that group was my wife. I think I'm going to bring her on to uh, discuss that with me. I'd like to make this a sort of a dialogue because it would be, I think, interesting to see how I saw it versus how she saw it. I am a massive comic book geek. I know a fair bit about the MCU, although I'm more of a DC guy, but that, that doesn't matter. The point is, I know comic books, and even though I don't know Carol Danvers, I can think of more than a few other characters that, in my opinion, would be better role models for feminism, if we want to say that. This one just doesn't work. I, I don't see how it works. Let's put it this way. Um, Wonder Woman was better. Wonder Woman comes across as a strong female character that actually has a pretty decent arc, but this one doesn't, which is strange because the actress is a self-confessed feminist, like hardcore. I would have thought that would come across. It just didn't. It just did not. But anyway, that discussion shall be left for a later time. For now, I'm going to sign off. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them over to at Lex Validus. That is Lex Validus, L-E-X-V-A-L-I-D-U-S. I can be found on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, and on email as well. The email address would be B, that's B for Bombay, at LexValidus.com. If you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a review. Doing so makes it easier for people to find us. Until next time, this is your host, Bharat, signing off. See you next week.